it's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, our podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And we are always appreciative every month to be able to get a legal update from our legal eagle whizzes at, uh, at the Bradley Law Firm, Hunter Robinson and Whit Steinecker. Uh, guys, welcome back yet again. Hey, Nick. Always happy to be here. Terrific. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we keep watching as, as many of the legislative bodies across these states start to kind of wind down from their legislative year, right, or their, or their sessions tend to start to be over if they're not, unless they're going into, um, you know, special sessions or something like that. Uh, but I'm curious because we've watched a whole lot about the Delta 8 as an example of this. Not so much worried about the different legislative entity, I mean, issues as it relates to, to Delta 8, although we can certainly talk about that. What I'm curious about is, is how does a state then kind of make regulations um, that might eventually be contrary to what the federal law is? How do I know if I have a, uh, a legal product that I could be making textiles with hemp fiber on only to find out that the state might come back in and change the regs out from under me? Or uh, what law really stands? And, and how do we know whose law? I mean, I get the Hey, if you get a 5-4 at the U.S. Supreme Court, that's what law is, okay? I mean, and then everything else gets to, you know, settle down or trickle down from there. But I'm just saying as, as they're all trying to kind of figure out, you know, uh, who's on first and who's governing what and which, how do you follow that stuff? How do we know what the answer is uh, on, the, on the legal piece? That's kind of a big, maybe that's a law school question. I don't know. <laughs> it's certainly giving me flashbacks. Um, and I do think the Delta A discussion is a, the Delta 8 topic is a good kind of springboard for this. Um, so, you know, it's important to recognize what exactly the Farm Bill did as far as, you know, the federal state, you know, breakdown of power um, or authority. So the Farm Bill said that states cannot do one thing, and that is ban the interstate transportation of them. Um, and it also set certain standards and said regarding the production and cultivation of hemp and said states cannot regulate hemp production and cultivation less stringently than those, uh, the kind of the federal rule. Um, but it left them room to, or allowed them to regulate it more stringently if they wanted to. That is why there's kind of, you know, different, um, you know, different kind of levels of regulation in the different states regarding the production and cultivation of hemp. Um, but, you know, the giving them room to regulate that more stringently is one thing. And it also left them room to regulate, you know, certain the consumption of hemp products and, you know, everything that's not the, uh, you know, kind of the cultivation itself. Uh -huh. um, left them room to regulate that how they please. So the, um, as it currently stands, you know, with a lack of clarity at the federal level about where Delta 8 stands, I mean, states are pretty much free to take their own approach to that. And, and we've seen that they have. Um, and that's a fairly common setup for federal legislation. A lot of times it will set a floor and then say states can do more if they wish. 
Um, so, you know, and, and that depends on the certain, you know, the, the subject matter. There is, you know, federal law does preempt state law where state law and federal law conflict. Um, the analysis of where there's actually a conflict there is, is a pretty heady legal question. Um, so this is, you know, the kind of where the federal and state dichotomy falls is common to a lot of areas of law. So and hemp is no exception. So if, if, let's just keep playing, let's just keep running the traps here on the idea of the Delta 8 stuff, okay? So if State X comes out and says, no Delta 8 products being able sold here, boom. And then that gets, let's say it might even go through, I don't know, lawsuits or whatever else it may do, but, but ultimately it gets settled, okay? And the, and the law of the land is now pervasive. Could the farm bill come back or could Congress, I should say, farm bill or not, could they come back and, and define that law more clearly at the federal level to say this is now the law of the land and could negate what the state had already put together as it related to, to the Delta 8 being outlawed? Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, so they could say that, uh, you know, the federal you know, Congress could say that Delta 8 was is legal. It is a Schedule 1 drug. Either it is included in the definition of, you know, can or marijuana, or they could say it's a separate category of zone and it is, you know, legal to buy, sell Delta 8. And that would be the law of the land. Um, presumably, if Congress made that law anew, they would actually enforce it. Uh, maybe that's a bad example because we know at the federal level, marijuana is illegal and, and, and the federal government has not done much to stop states from doing, you know, from making it legal under state law. Right. Um, good. Would you? No, I, well, I, I didn't say anything, but um, I, I'm happy to sort of add, you know, that's where you, that, that, that's where you get interesting um, really interesting legal questions start to come in place there because, you know, I, I think there's an argument that, uh, that Congress, but, but certainly can and should cl clarify the legal status of Delta 8. And if they made it illegal, then a state shouldn't be able to make it legal. Although, again, to Hunter's point, that's exactly what's happening on the marijuana side of the cannabis uh, universe. Uh, but I think most, most lawyers, I think, would say that if there was a, that if someone who was selling marijuana uh, legally under state law um, was subject to an enforcement action under federal law, that the supremacy clause of the Constitution, which says the federal law is the supreme law of the land, uh, would would mean that the, the federal prohibition trumped the uh, state level law. Now there's a bunch of other things that go along with that um, that that uh, border on the uh, border on the academic. If you're not uh, a, a party to the lawsuit, uh, but it is I think generally the case that states can more often than not. Uh, pass more stringent rules unless a court determines that Congress intent was to essentially occupy the field in some some particular sector or industry. And so it, it's it, it's 
if you take the example, the 21st Amendment repealed the 18th Amendment, which, which uh, was with prohibition. Congress says prohibition is no more in effect, but there's still places um, where I live in Alabama where local municipalities have uh, banned alcohol in their jurisdiction. Um, so you still have dry counties throughout the South. You had dry states for a while. For a while. Even right. though con- Congress has declared um, that prohibition was over. So there are a number of challenges that come up with that. But I think one of the takeaways is that operating in the, I, I, I think you could trend in, in two directions, and they're almost opposite directions, but you could somehow do this at the same time. I think there's a movement amongst states and state ag departments to be less state specific and less involved in hemp cultivation. You know, we see in North Carolina, for example, they wanted to be involved. Uh, they had their own hemp program, and then they said, you know what, we're just yeah. going to do what the feds do. Um, and so, on the one hand, there could be this move, not really towards deregulation, but to at least making a more uniform regulation, and that's just whatever the feds say. And so that effectively, every state's law um, uh, gets closer and closer to the same, which is probably best for a, uh, you know, a more efficient nationwide market. Uh, but, but there's also, while that's happening, as hemp grows uh, in popularity and exposure and, and variety, I think what you'll see are more state and federal, federal regulatory bodies wanting a little piece of the action. You know, is it the right now you've got FDA is worried about people putting CBD in food and drinks? Well, um, when is the if you put um, hemp in a car door, does National Highway Transportation, does NHTSA get involved? You know, when does the Consumer Protection Bureau? When, when do they? And 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 I think the reality is that and and is that they all probably have a a place at the table. There'll be litigation about whether. Um, that they have jurisdiction over certain types of uh, products and industries. But I wouldn't be surprised if the end result is that Hunter and I end up having conversations in the coming years about an increasing number of, you know, regulatory bodies that all have something to say about hemp. Now, what I hope, what I think all hemp industry participants would want is that those conversations at least are starting to coalesce around a more uniform, predictable, and uh, common sense type regulations than right now where it's just new and sort of piecemeal and everybody's trying to figure it out on the fly. Right. So, so, so then, so if I want to – okay, but, but part of it is – Pay attention, <laughs> get an idea before you launch in some venture one way or the other, what those state rules and regs are, because you may think it sounds great and you happen to just live across the state line or where you came from it worked great in Colorado, and now all of a sudden you've shown up in Georgia and found out, oh, they know that you can't do that here. Okay, uh, even though 
the farm bill is legal, right? And even though you could do this with him, you really got to be able to figure those things out on the front end. Uh, and that would be the wise, more prudent thing to do so that you didn't spend time and energy and money going after some project that you just couldn't, you know, that wasn't legal to do in that state, even though the farm bill says you could get hit with something. And so one thing that on that point, just to top in, um, labeling is something that we see a lot. Somebody has a product and maybe the product itself is pretty non-controversial in almost every state, but the types of statements that states are requiring you to make about hemp-derived products on a label, you know, they, they may differ. And so it may be that you, you know, you, you get with your, with your counsel, and maybe this is also time to, you know, make sure your insurance company is read into everything as well, but you want to make sure that either you have a different label for every state, which is pretty easy to see why that's not a very workable idea, uh, or you just default best you can to the most stringent regulations so that every other state would sort of be swept up and you know you would satisfy the requirements of other states. So that's that's a place where we we regularly see this issue. You know, hemp's legal, that's great, that's fine, but it doesn't mean that the the, the variance and variations in a state don't cause problems uh, sort of operationally. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on that's an interesting thing because I know part of the practice that you guys do at Bradley also is in banking and 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 with uh, uh, insurance and groups like that as well too. There can be a very practical thing, right? That your lender is going to go. Oh, there's too much ambiguity in this thing. I don't know what the bank's going to do. I'm not sure whether that's real. I don't know if I'm going to go on and not just allow our our lending institution or our bank to be a place for making transactions, but also whether I want to loan you any money or not, because I don't know if I'm lending it to a legal entity one way or the other. The state laws don't just throw you out of this or that. I mean, I would guess that would be a real thing in y'all's world. 100%. And that is my, you know, I do a, uh, outside of the Canada space, a lot of work for, for banks. And, um, you know, there's certain states, you know, all of the blue chip banks will do business in all 50, but there are some, you know, smaller clients that they kind of have some of the more stringent states are kind of carved out of their footprint because there's so much, so many extra disclosures, extra liability risks there. Um, and, you know, that's something that, yeah, I agree with Witt's point that a lot of the hemp regulations are becoming more uniform. Um, but the labeling stuff, I mean, that's, that's something that, um, in a lot of different industries, there there's state specific requirements there. I mean, you'll see that on a lot of, you know, sort of the the sin products like cigarettes and stuff like that will have certain specific California disclosures, you know, New York disclosures, um, and that's an area that Congress has normally left up to the states to kind of always do more to protect consumers. So you can see that in kind of the consumable you know, CBD Delta Eight world that there will almost certainly always be some state-specific requirements that you have to deal with, especially on kind of the labeling and disclosure front. Would, would, would part of this be done through the regulation and kind of rulemaking way instead of the legal, you know, what's in the code and what's not in the code? I mean, might there be, I don't mean just, let's don't, let's don't talk about Delta 8 as a piece of sure. Let's don't talk about that as the FDA and, and whatever. 
I'm just saying, you know, uh, in California, let's say our standards for um, any number of things, what you're going to put, let's go back to the fiber in the bed sheets. Okay. Use that. We may say, you know, these are our regulations. If you're going to sell those bed sheets into California markets, it's got to have all these 273 tests that are done to it before we're ever let you be able to sell it. While in Kansas, they may go, man, we don't need 270, we need 10, you know. But but the, but the law would allow those states to be able to, within the guidelines and within the world of, of what the federal regs are, and then maybe also what their state regs are, right, would help be able to define some of those things. Is that kind of right, or is that? Well, I mean, it, it would depend on, you know, there's... <laughs> still a lack of a lot of regulation at the federal level, even on kind of the industrial hemp stuff, you know, so there is, to Witt's point about occupying the field preemption, our field preemption, you know, a lot of, sometimes in statutes or regulations, they will specifically state that, say our intent is to regulate all forms of blank, 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 about blank. Okay. Um, that makes the preemption question easier, though it can still get thornier than you would expect with that. But, you know, there's also conflict preemption, not to get too law schooly here, okay. uh, but that's where basically there's a state, a state law that is, you know, so inconsistent with the federal law that it kind of fouls up the federal regime. Oh. Um, so those sort of questions could arise as well. Um, but I mean, if both of those questions, field preemption and uh, conflict preemption, you know, you can't really answer it until you see the federal regulations and the state regulations for that matter. Um, what, I, what I have to show, just building off of that, what I have to show where that regulation caused me harm to be able to do that. And so therefore that's a reason for me to be able to bring some lawsuit to say the state is totally messing up my ability to do business. And you gotta figure out when you want to fit the bill for that, right? Ooh. Right. Um, yeah, that's a requirement of standing uh, in federal courts is you have to show some sort of harm. Those state courts have a very similar, if not close to identical um, requirement. Um, but, you know, that could be that kind of stuff. Those kind of lawsuits could be, um, you know, a good area for trade associations or something where you can kind of share the bill. Although those those sorts of lawsuits create their own complicated standing questions. Um but yeah, you know, that may be a situation where you see sort of kind of the big players taking the, you know, taking the lead on it, the people that can afford the expensive lawsuit um, to, to, to have the, 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 the requisite amount of harm to make it worthwhile. You know, it's a naked example. This is, it's, it's, it's hypothetical. It's not real, but California has something called Prop 65 and you have to put up Prop 65 warning on most products that are sold in California or intended to be used in California, which is basically a warning about the, any possibility that the product could cause cancer. So let's say that that, that that rule currently exists. So let's say uh, FDA comes out and says, when it comes to CBD, your label may shall not contain any reference to cancer. Okay. I think I think that would be a, a, a uh, preempt, a preemption type question where you would say, I can't comply with that. There's no way if, if, if I sell it in California without the label, without the reference to cancer, then the California regulator could find me liable under California law. And if I, uh, 
And if I put it on there to satisfy California that I could get in trouble with the feds, that would be an instance where you can't comply with both. That would be, in my view, something where the California rule would be preempted by the federal rule. But courts are often, you know, loath to, to, to find preemption um, if they don't, if it's not obvious. So, you know, you have to really look closely at the language of both the state rule and the federal rule and ask yourself, is it truly impossible to comply or is it just difficult? And if it's just difficult, then um, it's a much harder question. If it's truly impossible, then you've usually got a pretty good shot at um, it, it arguing that at least the state rule uh, is not something that you should have to comply with. Right. And, and so it also kind of begs the question about, do I want to answer some of these questions legislatively and try to do like you're saying, Hunter, do my trade association or some group like that, where I really, we're going to go try to fix this thing. Kind of like those folks did about the whole thing about, um, you know, with that lawsuit that they, that they uh, brought um, uh, with the DEA, right? I mean, that was a group of folks that were done by the association. I said, this is a bunch of bunk. And they're going to go run up the hill and see if we can't solve this thing. And they got to the top of the hill, and the answer was, no, you can't, okay, right now. And so, um, but that wasn't just, and so there were parties that were, you know, harmed, not harmed, et cetera. But, but what that flows back to then is, all right, well, then how do I fix it? I've either got to fix it. Now I got to know I got to fix it legislatively if that's what I want to do, because otherwise, the, court can only interpret what the law says, right? So if the law is different, then... So it's just kind of part of the thing, wouldn't you say maybe we're just having to chalk a lot of this up to, you know, new industry things that we're all kind of learning, regulators are learning, other folks are trying to kind of figure it out, we're trying to figure out these different pieces and parts of what can work and what not work. What was the intent of the law? Who's being harmed? Who's not? What is it doing? And, the standards are altogether different if you're putting something into your body or putting something into something you're going to eat later, right? Or something like like the Hip Feed Coalition does, right? About whether you can feed this hemp to a chicken and then turn around and fry that chicken later that afternoon. I mean, you've got to be able to figure that out as compared to what am I going to put in my body panel parts of, of what we're trying to do on this new car that we just bought because it's got hemp in it. So, it's just a whole lot of stuff, right? It's simplified in a simple way. And maybe it's not that simple. Right. Well, you know, there's, I think there's, it's a good opportunity too to get in on the front end, um, you know, with kind of lobbying efforts, whether that is through, you know, if you have the means to do that yourself, your company yourself, or through trade associations. I mean, these laws and regulations are being written now. And, you know, as far as kind of the psychotropic cannabinoids like Delta-8, you know, people will kind of come at that through different value systems. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, tough, a tough pull with some legislatures. Maybe some people are saying, you know, we don't want people doing stuff that can, you know, uh, intoxicate them. But I mean, as far as industrial, you know, there's very few states that don't want more industry in their state. Um, so if you can kind of get in front of the legislators or the regulators, and show them why, you know, this product can be safe with this set of regulations and, you know, right. competition, all the things they want to do. Um, you know, we see that a lot, I think, in, in the cannabis and, and hemp space is, you know, legislators just, I mean, this is a new industry. And most of them, the time they've been in office, it's all been illegal. So, like, there's really room for lobbyists to kind of come in and, and educate them and make them do the right thing. A lot of their time, you know, a lot of times I think they, 
legislators may be well-intended, but just really don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot more, it's a lot easier to shape a law on the front end in a lot of ways than it is to, to legislate or to, to lobby for amendments to the legislation or changes to the legislation after. Yeah, this is why we need you on that wall, Nick. Um, I mean, it's, you're going to have to fight and claw and scrap to get, let the federal government and the state government give you what you want and then you're going to have to fight, call, and scrap stop them from slowly taking it away. And you see that in every state that's done um, medicinal or adult use marijuana and you're going to see it in hemp. It, it won't be quite as uh, vitriolic and you'll have more friends um, beca because of the, the, the nature of the product, but it's, 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 it's constantly going to be a battle of educating and advocacy and persuasion and right. in, in, in making sure that you are uh, aware of the issues. Um, you know, that's one of the main reasons I, I promise I'm not doing this for self-promotion, but that's one of the main reasons that we started our blog um, was to help keep people informed about what, legislators are doing in various states in our footprint it also helps us it makes keeps us accountable to make sure we're knowing what's happening because so much is happening this is so new and so evolving that you just got to be on it yes no I, and, and you ought to be that's not a self-promotion thing that's a really realistic thing uh, uh somebody's got to you know make this kind of investment you know do this Type of work, you better have the right people at the table that, that are watching up, um, um, uh, you know, at once. I mean, that are, that are watching all these pieces and parts. Um, so, yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, I think that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Obviously, we're doing and, and this is just another little industry parenthetic thing. You don't have to comment on it if you don't want. But part of the problem is, too, at the legislative level, whether that's the state level or the, or the federal level, you got all these different groups kind of quote unquote speaking for industrial hemp and nobody knows which one to listen to. So back to your point, Hunter, if a legislator is trying to figure out, well, how do I know what to make the right decision or not the right decision? Or how do I know who's telling what who really speaks for that industry? If there's four different groups all trying to be the, the, be the trade association, it's kind of hard uh, to be able to figure out which group is on which side. I mean, the mortgage brokers and the mortgage bankers they sound like they're the same group and they have a whole lot of stuff that's in common, but they got stuff that's different from each other, right? And, and, and so how do I differentiate that in a whole industry that's been, um, you know, that's four years old, essentially, I mean, as far as an industry is concerned. So um, anyway, um, cool thoughts. Um, so, so uh, uh, is, the, is the answer then, I, it would seem to me that the answer would be, if you want to figure out what's legal or not legal within your state, uh, retain good counsel to help you figure that out. Because otherwise, you may, be, you may think that you just went and um, uh, um, you may be thinking that you want to, um, that you went up and read some law because you found it online and, and figured out what you thought the law is, but that may very well not be what the law is. And so 
get good counsel before you launch. Um, that understands that state's regulations and laws as, as it relates to what you're trying to do. That's right, and and be especially careful on, uh, you know, if you're if you're shipping products interstate, um, because you may have a lot of different state laws to comply with. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Great idea. You know, and that's why this is always something to watch. You know, and that's why this is always something that we that we can't just um, flippantly pay attention to. We really have to pay attention to the stuff. So terrific. Well, tell us, give us a, 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 an idea of what some of the good blog posts that we're going to be able to read um, on the budding trends um, um, blog that you guys are doing. Anything uh, fun to watch? Nick, Nick I, I've got one that's it's either going live tomorrow or Thursday. I forget. Um, we're, we're big fans of uh, of pop culture, um, and so I talk about the benefits or the the the, uh, the reasons you may want to invest in industrial hemp, and uh, and, and either in conjunction with or as uh, as opposed to other types of cannabis. And I try to do that using uh, references to the movie Clueless and to the show The Office and my general affinity towards Alicia Silverstone. So um, I think hopefully you'll find that it's um, not all that sophisticated, uh, but that if you read enough, that there's uh, something in there for everybody. Love it. We'll keep watching. Hey, uh, any folks who are listening also would like and enjoy being able to uh, 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 learn more about us at the National uh, uh, Hemp Growers Cooperative. Go back and check us up out at nationalhempcoop.us and you can follow buddingtrends.com, I believe is the website in it, the blog that, that the Bradley uh, guys here and others um, uh, put into uh, out there for some good stuff to follow. And you can always follow back at the Bradley Law Firm at bradley.com and learn more about WIP and Hunter and the cannabis law practice they have there. Guys, we always appreciate hearing from you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.